Welcome to the worship. Uh, welcome to the workshop. Came, came to, came to believe. My name is Mary, and I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Before we begin, please turn off all cell phones. And this workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are on their are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format of this session is a reading, two speakers, basket basket questions, and sharing on a topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify to whom the questions are for. The reading is from the big book, page 60, second paragraph. Our first speaker is Katie from Sam, Sam, Bruno? Yeah. Sam Bruno, who will speak for 25 minutes. Do I go on to the second speaker? No. Hi, everybody. My name is Katie. I'm a compulsive reader. I'm also incredibly nervous. And um, I feel I need to start off my share by telling you all I had a food dream last night. <laughs> and um, it was one of those dreams where, like, I ate something, I, I, I ate a candy bar, and um, I was like, oh, God, I have to tell my sponsor. And, you know, like, whenever I have food dreams, it's like that. It's like, oh, God, what do I do? How do I, how do I make it right? You know, how have, I, have I lost my absence? What do I do? And, and then, then, then to make it even worse, and at, towards the end of the dream, I'm, I'm walking around looking at clothes, and there's people from the convention going, oh, my God, I loved your share. It was so great. And I'm like, I'm a fake. I have no recovery. And so um, that's probably meaning I'm really nervous, which is true. I am. I always get nervous before I speak, and, and, and that's like a whole ton of my character defects coming up. I mean, it's pride. It's people-pleasing. It's perfectionism. And, you know, I... In, in my ideal world, what I'm going to say is so amazingly wonderful that everyone here will be inspired to like this wonderful, happy, perfect, serene abstinence, and we're all going to go skipping along, tra-la-la, after life. And, um, and that's going to be really great if it happens, but it's not going to be my doing if it happens, you know, it's because whatever I say is, is up to God. So, um, so I just want to put that out there. I'm also going to reiterate that I'm not speaking for OA, and this is just my story and just my opinions and just my experience. So if nothing I say makes sense or you don't like it or you don't re relate. Um, we have another speaker after me. There's tons of people who are going to speak. And there's more workshops today, so, so check it out. Just keep coming back until you hear what you need to hear. Um, I'm not sure you're supposed to do the reading that was mentioned, but I'm going to read it because it's like a paragraph. So um, it's really fast. Uh, okay. Our description of the alcoholic or compulsive overeater, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas that we were compulsive overeaters and could not manage our own lives, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism or compulsive overeating, and see that God could and would if he were sought. Being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. That was really, really nice and short. And basically, it's kind of cool. Uh, those, so those three, like that ABC part that um, I just read, that's like another way to talk about the first three steps. You know, step one is we admitted we were powerless over food. Our lives had become unmanageable. You know, two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And three, made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Um, and then there's also somewhere in the, in the 12 and 12 where it says, you know, that they can, you can fill out the first three steps. I can't. God can. I think I'll let God. So I, I love how there's just different ways to, to state that. Um, people talk about, like, you know, in the, in the big book itself, you know, Bill says the same thing a lot of times, over and over again, but in different words. And that just, it's, and I, I think it's brilliant and totally God-inspired because it's whatever, 
you're going to understand. You know, different people are going to understand different things. So, um, uh, so the workshop's about first, the first three steps. And, um, oh, I got pictures that will hopefully, um, you know, uh, fill in any blanks I may not say. You know, I'll definitely qualify. There's, there's pictures of, in, of me in there from about six years old up until a few years ago. Um, uh, to qualify, I have, um, well, actually, my first, my first meeting was in 1990, but I've been back in program, and I, I've been there for a few years, left, came back in 2000, and um, my absence date is, uh, current absence date is uh, August 11th of 2001, so I'm coming up on eight years. Yay, God. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, and my top weight was somewhere around 200 pounds. The last, you know, the highest number I ever saw on the scale was 189. I'm pretty sure I got bigger than that. Um, and last time I went to the doctor, I weighed at 128. So, okay. Um, so it seems like, thank you. I'll, anyway, my higher power accepts those applause. And uh, so I, I think probably the best way to, to talk about the first three steps is, is just to kind of tell a little bit about my, about my story. Um, you know, I am definitely powerless over food. And, um, and um, you know, I came to believe that the power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, and I've made that decision. And that's, that's steps we got to take, you know, over and over and over again. Um, so the first time I remember uh, food being an issue was when I was, um, I, think in, I think it was either first or second grade, and, you know, I went to a doctor's appointment, and the, the doctor told my mother I was overweight. And, um, you know, I'd seen pictures of myself at that time. I looked, I think I looked like a normal, you know, six-year-old. And uh, so all I can think of is I didn't match up on some height-weight chart. So to this, to this day, the number on the scale kind of makes me a little crazy. Um, so I try not to look. This time the nurse, last one went to the doctor, she said it out loud. And I was like, okay, well, now I know. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, but, um, you know, anyway. I mean, up in, even up a few years ago, I was absent. I was, like, about this size, you know. I was technically overweight because I was, you know, whatever, like two pounds over what some of my height should weigh. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is stupid. I feel good about myself. I look good in my clothes, and I'm overweight. Oh, my God. So, anyway, I got to let the number go. That's just me. But um, back to being a back to being a little kid, you know, I'm really grateful. The doc, so after the doctor um, told my mother I was overweight, you know, she suggested a way I could lose weight was to, you know, not have dessert, not have seconds, and okay, that's reasonable, I guess. And um, you know, I'm really grateful my parents did not become the food police. But I do remember getting praise if I did turn down dessert or didn't have seconds or something like that. And it just something in my head that was like, like I wasn't okay. That was the message I got. That I wasn't okay the way I was. It wasn't okay to eat what I wanted when I wanted. And, um, and I, and I do, and that's, and that's really at that point is when I kind of remember, you know, doing the, the compulsive reading behaviors. I mean, I was a kid at the party who would like to hang out at the dessert table. You know, Halloween candy lasted, I don't know, five days was a long time for me. Um, you know, any, any holiday where, you know, candy could be given as a, as a, as a present, oh man, I was there. And I was at one of the biggest pieces of dessert and, and this kind of stuff. Um, and I remember sneaking food and, I remember my, um, I don't think my parents really knew what was going on because I, I have a brother who's, you know, six foot five and he was very athletic and, you know, he, he needed to eat a lot of food. So there were times if a lot of food was missing, they, I think they assumed my brother ate it. Because he did, he ate a lot. And I remember, I remember at some point too, some really sick point where I was, um, at some point I thought, okay, well he's thin. If I eat as much as him and he's thin, then maybe I'll get thin. Whatever. Um, that didn't work very well. <laughs> to this day, my brother can eat amazing amounts of food and not gain weight. It just boggles my mind. 
Um, but he's also not a compulsive reader. I mean, a lot of food for him is nothing in terms of a binge for me. <laughs> um, so I pretty much, I passed for normal, I think, as a, as a little kid. I got kind of chubby as a preteen. Um, I, I remember being kind of depressed um, about my weight and my, and my body. And I remember talking to somebody. She's like, oh, it's just baby fat. You know, you'll grow out of it. And um, it turns out she actually was right. I mean, fortunately, my metabolism didn't, I don't know. I, I got taller. I had hips and breasts as I was getting into puberty. And, yeah, I got, I got thinner. Um, there's a picture of me, like, about to graduate from eighth grade, and I'm wearing a size 6 petite, which is, you know, I'm only maybe two inches shorter than I am now in that picture, and it's like, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I look pretty good. I still thought I was fat because I was still doing the behavior. Um, passed for normal again when I was in um, for high school, and, um, and like I said, my first OA meeting was in 1990, so that was my senior year in high school. And um, uh, I was, um, where was I with this? Oh, I passed for normal during high school, but I was still doing those eating behaviors. I mean, you know, cleaning out the desserts at a party, um, eating lots of Halloween candy, eating lots of Christmas candy and cookies and, um, you know, binging. And, um, and my friends would go out and we'd get ice cream all the time. And, uh, um, and, I, and I thought I was fat. I had lots of bad body image stuff. Um, and I went, to this, I went to my first meeting in 1990, and um, I walked into this. It was actually this hospital. It was like, you know, a mile away from my parents' house. And I walked into this meeting. I'm this, you know, 17-year-old girl, you know, and there's – I don't see anybody in my demographic in this room. But there were, And I thought it was weird. I, I was, you know, kind of um, looking at it like, oh, my God, this is one of those loser 12-step meetings that I've seen on the, you know, the movie of the week or something. And, you know, it, you know, it was at the very end of, like, it's all going to be okay. And anyway, um, I had a lot of judgments around that. And, and, and backing up a little bit, I also, I also remember, you know, at least in my teen years, feeling like something was wrong kind of – in a way, kind of related to those movies of the week, you know, where something's not okay. And um, But all the stuff I saw, like, the things I thought were, like, problems that kids had were, like, you know, doing drugs or drinking a lot or getting abused or um, I don't know what else, what other things. Uh, oh, anorexia or bulimia, I, I've really never done either of those. You know, those were the problems. And, but I wasn't doing any of that stuff. And then that stuff was happening to me. So it's like, how do I ask for help just being, like, a fat blob? You know, I, I, you know, how do I how do I ask for help on that? Um, you know, so um, but it, so so when I went to that meeting, I think the reason I was attracted to the program is I saw a poster and it said Overeaters Anonymous, and it actually was it seemed like it was addressed to anorexic and bulimics. It said anorexic bulimics try Overeaters Anonymous, and and like I said, I wasn't doing anorexia or bulimia, but I was overeating, and I was like, oh, maybe that name, I don't know. So I snuck into this meeting and and um, and. And like I said, it was weird, and there weren't people that I felt were like me, except for one thing. They all did really painful stuff with food. You know, they all had stories of, like, you know, I've, I've overeaten, or I've, you know, uh, eaten so much I've thrown up. I've done, you know, they all did stuff that was, that was unhealthy and scary and, and, and with food, and they wanted to get better. And so that was my hook. I was in. And uh, I got myself a sponsor, um, started working the steps. I, I lost a bunch of weight that summer, you know, between high school and college, and, um, you know, um, and, and things were great. I was loving it. Um, I loved my new body because I was buying some new clothes. And, you know, I went to college. I was looking really good. I got this really cute boyfriend. And um, school was fun and doing a lot of activities. And um, I actually, my freshman year in college, I got down to my lowest adult weight, which is 116 pounds. Now, again, I happen to know this. That's the lowest acceptable healthy weight for a person my, my height. Um, <laughs> but that's a little, little, a little for me. That was really hard to maintain. Uh, but it was a high, let me tell you. Oh, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm so great because I'm losing weight. It was fun to watch the scale go down every month. Um, but then, you know, like, life happened. 
you know, every, you know, the pink cloud just kind of burst. Uh, a bunch of some stuff happened in my family. School started getting hard. It started getting obvious that this really cute boyfriend wasn't working out, you know. Um, and I picked up food again. Um, I think it was, I can't remember the exact event, but I, I remember picking up some, some desserts and just going for it like you would not believe. And, um, and my sponsor at the time, ironically, or incidentally, had also been starting to be not so available. I'd call her at the time I was supposed to call her. She wouldn't be there. She'd never call me back, you know. Blah, blah. And I remember, like, after this binge, um, I tried to, I was scared to death to call her. And I finally got called her. And it took her, like, three days to actually pick up the phone. And then that day she told me she couldn't sponsor me anymore. Well, no, duh. She, she, she said, the way she said was, like, well, my life's unmanageable. I can't, you know, I can't sponsor her. I don't have time. And, like, which was being honest. On the other hand, I was like, wow, now I don't have a sponsor. Shit. So, um, so I floundered around in the program for another year and a half or so and until I woke up one day and going, hey, I have a choice here. The world is not going to come to an end if I don't go to OA, which is true, you know, and so I realized I have a choice. I don't have to go. And so I'd like to point out, thank you guys for making the choice for showing up today. You know, we do have a choice whether or not we come to this program. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I left. I decided to leave. And um, that was in the middle of my biggest weight gain. Um, I like to say I had the freshman negative 15 and the sophomore 70. I rapidly gained a lot of weight that year. And um, I was also living with a compulsive overeater, another compulsive overeater, who I didn't really like her very much. She was a very angry woman and had, and just, I don't know, there were things about her I didn't like. But she had a car, and she would go to the store anytime I wanted. And we were binge buddies together. Um, at the same time, I was dating an active alcoholic and drug addict who was abusive. And it just, those are the kind of relationships I was accepting at that time. Um, and you talk about life being unmanageable. And um, I was completely powerless over this. Like, I thought it was, like, I thought this guy and I were so great. You know, we were such good friends. And, and he was really wonderful when he was sober. You know, typical uh, codependent uh, little phrase there. Um, all right, so fast forward a little bit. I... Uh, after I graduated from college, I, uh, I had this period where um, I was working seven days a week, and um, uh, I was working seven days a week, and, you know, I had two jobs, and there were days when I had both, my, my two days, the job, sorry, there were about four, three days a week where I had two jobs, I had to go to my two jobs, so I would wake up at about six in the morning, get dressed, go to my morning job, get off of that, you know, it was a half day, I'd, I'd work that, I'd drive my other job, Changing my uniform, eat my lunch, work, maybe get a dinner break, get off at 11, go home, and do it all over again. I didn't have a lot of time to overeat. I mean, I had enough time to just have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I wasn't really controlling portions. I wasn't controlling specific foods. I just had some that little bit of boundaries around my food. And in that three months where I was working that much, I lost, like, 20 pounds. You know, so it's kind of cool when I quit my one job and I gave back my uniform. It was too big. It was like, score. So that kind of began this phase where I thought I was sort of coming out of compulsive overeating. I thought I was, like, growing out of it. Because I sort of stayed at this sort of that middle, you know, top weight minus 20 pounds area for a few years. And I didn't think I was binging that much. And I don't know. I'm not sure what was going on. But I thought I was, in my head I was growing out of it. Um, and I remember reading something about, because this was about the time when, you know, uh, I guess the, uh, the professionals are starting to acknowledge that, oh, yeah, compulsive reading is also a disease. That's also an eating disorder. You know, it's not just the starving and the binge purge thing. Um, anyway, and so they're, they're talking about, oh, if you do it more than, like, once a year, it could be a problem. And I'm like, I remember being just indignant at that. I'm like, excuse me? I'm just perfectly fine. Um, 
So, uh, okay. So how I got back into programs, this is kind of a fun journey. I, I remember, um, uh, I, um, I, like I said, I thought I was going around this overeating thing, but then it started to kind of come back, you know, and um, I couldn't control it as much as I thought I was. And I remember a day where, you know, at the end of the workday, the jeans that were loose in the morning were tight at the end of the workday because I'd eaten so much. And I thought, i got to lose the rest of this weight, and I need help to do it. And so I went to this, you know, commercial diet plan that, that my company would sponsor you for, and um, which is a good food plan. I'm not going to knock it. But I went there, and I lost a lot of weight, um, About got to about where I am now. And, and then the food started really coming back. Um, I, I started doing things that I never thought I'd do, like, you know, going to the grocery store and, like, you know, just enough clothes to be legal, legally covered, you know, and then, like, you know, hoping nobody knew saw me. I mean, I remember one time actually ducking into an aisle because I, I saw this cute guy from my church that I didn't want to him to, to notice that I was buying all this junk. And I had this story prepared for the checkout clerks in case, you know, they asked why I was buying so much food. What do you think if it did? They don't care. Um, and, uh, you know, things like that. And, and I had things where, you know, the worst, I think the worst binge I ever had, and unfortunately this was not the last one, was, was I knew as I went to the store I had to get more food that I could possibly consume because I was not going to stop until I was sick. And, and I did. I, it was almost like get to the store, cue the Mission Impossible music, you know, dun, 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 and I'm like throwing stuff into my cart. I'm eating it out of the bag, you know, on the walking back to my apartment. And, you know, I, I, I ate it, I ate it. I, I can't believe I must have eaten just like $40 worth of like, you know, stuff in like maybe 20 minutes. And sure enough, I was sick to my stomach. I threw it all up, and I hate puking. I'm telling you that right now. It's you know. Anyway, um, and it was really interesting. It didn't taste like vomit. It tasted like chocolate. I because I was I was throwing up food. I was not throwing up throw up. And uh, and I remember actually kind of feeling good when I was done. Hmm. And it was that really scared me. And, and the other thing that scared me is I um when I went to kind of clean myself afterwards, I noticed there was blood trickling down my forehead. I don't remember hitting myself on the toilet, so I was either sweating blood or I hit myself, and I don't remember. But that that was amazing. That I, I that, it still kind of freaks me out that I, that, that that happened. So that was my that was my um that was my freakiest binge ever. So my life definitely unmanageable. I'm definitely powerless over the goddamn food. Um, how much time do I have left? Nine minutes. Okay. So hopefully I'll get to step two and three. Um, so step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Um, yeah, definitely coming back to program was a spiritual experience. Um, uh, where do I want to go with this? I, okay, so the first, the, the first time I was in the program, um, with that very first sponsor right, right after, you know, right after high school, I totally remember doing the steps, like, and, and, and I'm so grateful, like, I just recently heard people share this thing too, like, you know, they read, I read through the steps, like, great, let's start on step four, I'm there. I'm unmanageable, I already believe in God, I know God can do, you know, can restore me to Sandy, yeah, let's do it. Fortunately, she had to slow me down, and there you go. Um, coming, and I think, I think my issue with that is like, yes, I believe that God exists, but do I believe God can restore me to sanity? There's a big difference, you know, for me at least. And I think, I think I, I think I intellectually believe that. I don't think I believe it in my heart. I, I think there was something about like, oh, why would God want to deal with, you know, my, my being fat and my, my compulsive overeating? You know, there's, there's people starving. There's people dying in wars. You know, there's people with AIDS. It's like, you know, why would he care about this? And, um, but, but, cause God does. <laughs> you know, God loves me. And so why not? But it took a long time to believe that. Um, so the way I got back into program is I remember, um, so I tell you about that, that commercial diet club, lost a bunch of weight, and then 
starting to do screwy things with food. I remember just praying about, you know, God, I, w- I want to stop doing this. Like, I knew about the spiritual aspect. I want to stop doing this. What do you want me to do? And ironically, I had just gotten back some literature that I would given to somebody, some old OA literature that a few years before this I had given to somebody. And I said, don't bother giving it back. You know, do whatever you want with it. I know I never want it back. I'm so sure. Well, I asked this person, do you still my books? Can I have them back? And she said, actually, yes, I do. And she gave them back. So I'm sitting there reading the, um, at the time it was the OA, just 12, they didn't have the 12 and 12, it was just the 12 steps. So I'm sitting there reading it, and I remember, you know, telling God, okay, God, I want to stop, I want to stop eating compulsively. And I understood the spiritual, physical, and emotional nature of the disease. I understood the threefold thing. And I thought, okay, but I'm not going back to OA. I, you know, I'll handle the spiritual with this church group I'm in. I'll, I was in therapy, so I'll do the emotional with therapy, and I'll do the physical with this diet club, and there you go. And I'll just work them harder. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not be doing it, doing it enough. So I gotta do it more. Fortunately, my higher power has other plans. And a month after I had this conversation with God, I walked into a meeting. So that was May 1st of 2000, walked into a meeting. And I remember, and God bless the newcomer greeter at that meeting. I'm not sure exactly what I said, but I know I was full with a lot of anger, a lot of fear, a lot of resentment. And I think I expressed some of that, like it didn't work last time, and you know, I'm not gonna have any friends, and I, I'm not gonna connect with people. And then I just, all I remember saying is, welcome, we're glad you're here, you know, and, and it was, it, yeah, and I, and I sat through the meeting, the regular meeting after the newcomers, and kind of similar to that first meeting I went to, like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm here, these people are losers. It was more, it was still that same, like, yep, need to be here, need to be here. And, like, I knew that at the core, I need to be an Overeaters Anonymous, and I still believe that. Um, a few, a few years ago, I was, I was, thank you, five minutes, okay, great. Um, I was doing some, I was getting some outside help on another issue, and, and this person suggested that I was spending too much time in the, in my 12-step program, and I, <laughs> he had barely gotten the words on it, I just remember almost jumping down this person's throat, like, no, that is not an option. <laughs> Cutting out OA is not an option. Um, you know, I still go to approximately three meetings a week, and that's just what works for me. Bless you. Um, so what else? So, uh, yeah, so, okay, so came to believe with power of getting ourselves to restore us to sanity and then made a decision. So, so my experience being back in the program is, um, yeah, God, God's here. I think God, I've heard of people say that God is, or people in the rooms, or God with skin on. Um, some really, a suggestion to folks who might be atheists or agnostic is use the group as your higher power. And um, for some reason, I don't know, the first time I heard that, I didn't really think I needed to do that. Because, like I said, I believe in God. But I think also I need, God wanted me to be around other people. You know, like God was not going to, you know, just suddenly come down and strike me out while I'm, you know, in my bedroom praying. It's like God wanted me to get out there, talk to you guys, hear what you have to say, see what you do, and, and see what can work for me. And, and just keep coming back and trying it. Because um, this is a power greater than ourselves. I mean, it's like I, could, I, I might be able to move this table, maybe. It's kind of heavy, but, like, if, if this person over here helps me, it's even easier. And if all you guys got up here and helped us move the table, oh, my God, piece of cake, so to speak. Um, <laughs> it'd be really easy to move this table. Like we can do as a group, you know, amazing, miraculous things. And um, I'm so grateful I never left. Um, and so, so step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. That's, um, that's major. That's, I, I have been... That's a step I take every day, um, and you know, and that's and that's shown up in many ways. I um, mean, at first it was like, okay, I'm demonstrating my step three decision by starting my fourth step. Um, I'm demonstrating my step. I, I, I like to call it surrender nowadays. It's like I'm just surrendering to what is God's will. You know, I'm just going to do it, um, or at least I'm going to try and be open to it. 
You know, um, and a lot of times I've been meditating lately. That's been my kind of my mantra. I'm breathing with I surrender. I surrender. And if something comes up, I surrender. I surrender my job. I surrender my health. I surrender my hair. I surrender my car. I surrender my coworker. I surrender, you know, my relationship. I, su- I mean, anything. I mean, we're talking anything. I surrender my, you know, my fingernails. I mean, because I can, I can obsess on anything and, and, and make it crazy. Um, so I just, I just keep surrendering as much as I can. Um, I surrender this, this talk today. I, you know, I feel like I'm all over the place and I'm hoping it's making sense to somebody. Um, so, do, 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 do. yeah, and I say this, and I say this step three prayer every day. You know, that's, that really helps me. Um, I think, I think acceptance has to do that. I got one minute, great. Um, I think acceptance goes in there. Again, it's another way of saying something. You know, I, I, I love what it says about acceptance. You know, it's the answer to all our problems. It's like, yeah, it is. And sometimes that's really hard for me. I'm like, God damn, I have to accept it. Oh, you know, but it just, I've also heard in this program, you don't necessarily have to mean it. You can pray and not mean it. Oh, that's great. Because I've had so many experiences where I've just like said the prayer, said the words, not totally meant it or felt it, but then like it starts happening, you know. Um, so there you go. So I think my time's almost up. I'm really grateful you guys let me speak. And it's good that you guys are all here. You got up this morning. It's 9 o'clock. My God. It's early. Um, but yay. Thanks for, thanks for showing up for recovery. And I'm looking forward to our next speaker, who is Randy from Los Angeles. Okay. I'm a little vertically challenged, so... <laughs> My name is Randy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, is anyone trying to name me? Thank you. <laughs> to get the numbers out of the way, um, I waddled into my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting on March 4th of 1976 in Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm here to personally attest to the fact that, yes, there is recovery in Cleveland, Ohio, um, even though sometimes... Um, I wonder what I ended up there, uh, doing there, but I waddled in. I don't know what my top weight was. It was somewhere, I had stopped weighing myself at 200 pounds, and I'm only five foot two. Um, I waddled in, and it was in a large church, and it's like, God forbid, a nice Jewish girl like me from Philadelphia should go, could walk into a church. Um, and there were about 200 people in this meeting. I sat in the back of the room, scared to death, because um, having being in the room with a single person scared the crap out of me. I was so busy trying to figure out what you wanted that there was no way in hell I could be real or express myself at all, because I was just so filled with anxiety. So I sat in the back of the room, shaking. Six months later, I was told that somebody had to hold my hand the entire time because I was just so freaked out by having more than two people in a room at the same time. But there were things about that first meeting that still, 33 years later, have stuck with me. The first thing was the knowledge that I had a disease and I was powerless over food. It's really weird because I remember when I was 11 or 12 years old in seventh grade doing a report for my health class 
on drug addiction and alcoholism. And I remember reading the symptom of craving. And it hit, it, I remember very distinctly saying to my mother, oh my God, I'm exactly the same way with food. Now this was back in 1962 or 1963, so Overeaters Anonymous hadn't really even made it to the East Coast yet. But instinctively, I knew that there was something very, very wrong with the way that I ate. And that it was as much related to emotions and craving as it was to the physical food. And my mother, my mother's comment to me was the old trifecta that I had gotten my entire life. You're oversensitive, you're wrong, and you're imagining it. And me being, you know, the compulsive overeater, oh, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, instinctively I knew that there I was powerless over food. Um, I remember as far back as eight years old, um, Saturday mornings used to be the love of my life. Because my dad was at work, my mother my mother was at the hairdresser, uh, my sister was probably still sleeping, and I could go to town. There and I used to do my best eating on Saturday mornings. Um, didn't really matter what it was, but I was the secret eater. Um, I, my mother used to have this running joke saying she couldn't understand how I was so heavy because I never ate. Um, but I made up for it all when I was alone. Um, so Saturday mornings I used to just go to town and my, you know, two, my two favorite things were isolation and food. Um, and um, so that was the way my life went. I knew instinctively, I knew there was something wrong, very wrong with the way that I ate. I knew that I was powerless over food. I knew that I ate over, I ate whether I was happy, I ate if I was sad, I ate to escape, but you know, I just keep kept dragging myself with me. So there was no escape. Um, and the food, I had the craving. So when they talk in the big book about, in the doctor's opinion, about the phenomena of craving, I'm going, yeah, I'm there. Um, so I walked into my first OA meeting and I heard, you're home. And you are powerless over food. And it was like this weight came lifting off of my shoulders uh, because I always felt like such a failure. I even felt like a failed anorexic and bulimic. I'm going, you know, God damn it, I can't even do that right. Um, and so I learned that this was a disease that was insidious and it was fatal. And you know what? I believe to this day I believe that this is a life or death disease. Um, and whenever I forget that, God has this way of knocking me over head and saying, this is a reminder, Randy. 
Um, and I've seen more people than I care to die in this program. It could be, you know, on the death certificate, they call it a heart attack or a stroke or whatever. Um, I remember very distinctly a conversation I, I had with a woman who is now unfortunately no longer with us and saying, what is it going to take? I don't want to have to bury you. And it's funny because that was kind of the conversation that brought me into Overeaters Anonymous. I was 24 years old and um, I had stopped weighing at 200 and my dad said to me, I don't want to have to outlive you. And about a couple of weeks after that, I had heard about Overeaters Anonymous and um, that conversation that I had with my parents in middle school about being the food addict just came back to me and I instinctively knew this was the place for me. And when I walked into that first OA meeting, they gave me hope because there were, was a group of people who were able to, who looked normal. They looked normal and they acted normal. And I think for me, the acting normal was probably as important as the looking normal. Um, and they, most of all, they were not, they were freed of the mental obsession. And that's why I came to my first OA meeting. I knew I was fat. I'd been on yo-yo diets since I was, I went on my first diet when I was 12. Um, and it's funny because when I look back at pictures of myself, I was, you know, maybe a little chubby, but I was by no means obese. But I felt fat. I felt like the, I felt less than. I felt like I was the fattest one in the room. And I totally believe to this day that the difference between a diet and abstinence is a state of mind as much as anything else. Because um, when I look back on it, the foods that I eat today are pretty much the same as the foods that I ate when I was on a diet. But the difference is that while I ate those foods on a diet with a sense of resentment and anger and just waiting for the diet to be over so that I could go back to whatever it was that I was doing before, today I eat the food with a sense of gratitude and... Um, it's hard to, like, permanence. In other words, you know, my food is my food. And with a sense of perspective, um, that the, basically it's so weird. Sometimes I look outside myself and going, who is this person? Where I can honestly say that food isn't that important to me today. Um, I remember an incident where it was at the um, one of the L.A. birthday parties, and there was another function at the same time, and they were bringing in this tray of who knows what into the adjoining meeting room. And someone had mentioned to me, oh, boy, look at that tray. 
I go, what tray? I, I didn't even notice it. Um, I could go on a cruise where you have buffet sitting. I don't even notice it today. What this program has done for me through the first three steps is it's freed me not only of the physical obsession, but of the mental obsession with food. And that's the hope that I got this, um, th my first meeting. I was kind of lucky, I guess, that at my first meeting I thought, okay, you got the diet, you went on, they call it a food plan diet, same deal. Um, you get on the food plan, you lose the weight, and blah, blah, blah. And um, it was maybe about a year later that it kind of dawned on me that, oh, gee, you know, I, I could go back to the way I was eating if I chose to. But by that time, I chose not to because I found that abstinence, for all the trials and tribulations that it's brought me, it was my worst day of staining is still better than my best day eating. And um, I've been abstinent for 33 and a third years. <laughs> so um, I'd really like to talk more about what it is, the journey, and what it's like today. Um, I've gone into a little bit of what it was like, and quite frankly, what it was like is so different from the way it is today. And it's all due to this, this book and the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. Um, so when I came into my first meeting, I knew I was powerless over food. I began to learn more and more how unmanageable the rest of my life was. Um, even to this day, it's a constant learning process that my life is unmanageable by me. I cannot control my, my now ex-spouse. I cannot control my children. I cannot control my coworkers. I cannot control the fact that um, my company, the company that I was working for, decided to be acquired by another company. And, uh, you know, talk about irony. I used, um, back, starting from, like, the early 90s, I used to jokingly call the company I worked for the Evil Empire. And the, the fact, God has a sense of humor because the fact that I am now working for the Evil Empire and not going out of my mind is an attribute to this program. Um, so that part of it is unmanageable by me. Um, so how do I get rid of this desire to be the Tsarina of the world and control everything? And that's where the rest of the steps come in. The second step came to believe that power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I, um, I had a kind of weird relationship with a higher power. Higher power was someone that I prayed to on the Jewish high holidays. Um, God was basically the guy with the whip um, who was at once urging me to 
do, you know, to do more, do more, do more, not good enough, not good enough, which was the story of my life. Um, but, and it was the God that basically, God did things on a grand scale. He parted the Red Sea. He pardoned the, the entire Jewish people. But, God personal to me, a God who could help me with whatever was going on in my life, eh, wrong. Um, I grew up believing that um, in the God of the intellect. When it talks in the big book about the God of the God of the intellect rather than the God of our fathers, yeah, I'm there. Um, I was brought up to believe that um, you rose and you fell because of your individual effort. And if you did, and if it didn't turn out the way you had intended, despite your best efforts, that was my failing. So I, I carried around this, you know, 60-pound bricks of guilt on my back for not measuring up. And um, then I, you know, I looked at the second step. And um, that God could restore me to sanity. But certainly not the, God, the concept of God that I had had. And then it says in the big book, why don't you pick your own conception of God? And that was like the sunlight breaking through the clouds for me. Um, but what's really strange is that the longer I participate in this program, the less of a need I have to define God. I'm one of these really analytical people. That's what I do for a living, is that I'm paid, to be, I'm paid very well to be analytical. And um, I found that I had to get a new profession because of this program, um, which is a good thing, by the way. Um, it's not a bad thing at all. And because... When I, um, the more I had seen, the, the less of a need I had to define God. Today, if you would ask me about my concept of a power greater than myself, I would have to say just very simply, there's a power greater than myself that lives inside of me and it ain't me. And God has so many manifestations in my life. Um, and a little bit later on, I usually end my story with the most significant manifestation of all. And it's one of those stories where when I, if I would hear my story spoken by somebody else, I tell them they were out of their minds, that that sort of thing could never happen to me. And it did. Um, and so... I came to believe that um, that I, I knew I was insane, but I saw hope and light at the end of the tunnel. And then comes step three. Um, it says, I believe, in the AA 12 and 12, that the rest of our program depends on how well and how thoroughly we take step three. 
which is turning our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Um, Initially, I turned my will and my life over because I was at the bottom of the barrel and I didn't know what else to do. After about a year of abstinence, I was, you know, it's like I was 25 years old, I was thin, I was really cute, and my life was falling apart. I lost my job, and my marriage was, I began to realize that um, the marriage was built on a foundation of sand. You know, it's funny, abstinence will do that for you. It clears away the scales from the eyes. And at that point, I, out of desperation, I had to turn my will and my life over to, to God as I didn't, as I jokingly say, over to the care of God as I don't understand Him, because I don't understand Him. Um, and I immediately thought, if I did step three, then my life would be perfect. Not true. Um, my life abstinent has been far from perfect. There have been a lot of high spots, but there have been a lot of low spots too. But one thing I know to my very foundation is that um, God does not give me anything more than I can handle. Um, so I, like Katie, I take the first three steps every day. Uh, I say the third step prayer every day. I have readings that I do in daily meditation books every day. And I know that God will get me through whatever. Um, to end the story is, you know, everyone has got their God story. I've got mine. It happened about three or four years ago. And, you know, figured out this is after 20, 28, 29 years of abstinence. It became very apparent to me that the, the job I was in just was not working out. I had taken it only because I had been laid off from the job that I thought would be the last job I'd, I'd ever have. I ended up getting laid off. And I was pretty devastated. It was during a downturn in the economy. The only job that was available to me at the time was um, a job I wasn't really that suited for, but it's like, okay, it's a job, I'll take it. It was um, a very significant pay cut, and I ended up having the commute to San Diego from Los Angeles. So it became very apparent that job was not going to work out at all. I had sent out 500, 532 resumes to get that job. When it became apparent that this, that job was not working out, for all my life I had written resumes um, based on what I thought you wanted to hear. This time, for the first time in my life, I took a step back and I said, what do I want to do? And I wrote a resume for that job. I didn't even know whether that job existed or not. And then I wrote a list of 20 companies that I would really like to work for. 
And every day I would pray to God, show me the words to say, show me the path. I ran this resume past a good friend of mine, got some suggestions. The day after I finished it, I get a call from a very dear friend of mine. He's of a different religion, but we, we're both very spiritual, and we talk a lot about spirituality. And this is the way the conversation went. Hi, Rand. Wanted to let you know that I'm now working for XYZ Corporation. I'm doing that dream job that you and I have talked about for the last 15 years. They have an opening in L.A., and God told me you'd be interested. Are you? <laughs> I said, after, you know, I picked my mouth up off the floor. I said, you'll get my resume in five minutes. He said, don't you want to look at the job description? I go, all right, fine. Send me the job description. I look at the job description. I look at the resume. I didn't have to change a word. I had, God had led me to write the resume for that job. And I've been in that job ever since. It's been a little bit over three years. And I have a very, you know, bad times, good times, acquisitions, worrying about layoffs. I have an inherent peace of mind that I knew 532 resumes versus one. I had a very instinctive feeling that this is where my higher power wanted me to be. Oh, and by the way, XYZ Corporation, remember that list of 20 companies? XYZ was number two on the list. So um, this works. This program works. I am not going anywhere, and I hope you don't either. Thank you for letting me share. We will, we will now have uh, 10 minutes of questions from the Ask It Basket. Um, if there are not any questions in the Ask It Basket, who's got the Ask It Basket? Okay, the first question is, how do you find a sponsor, and how do you let God help you? How do you find a sponsor? You ask, you find someone who has what you want, ask them how they are achieving it. Um, that's the simple answer. I know it's not always easy. Um, there's, there's, a lot of, there's not a lot of sponsors right now, and sometimes people are busy, but I just keep asking. Like my experience when I first came back to the program is it took a while for me to get my first sponsor, and I kept asking people, and they were busy, but I, I finally eventually found somebody who was available, and it was a great fit, and um, so, yeah, um, and how do you let God help you? Um, I'm going to go back, like, if you're resistant, I, this is my suggestion based on some of my experience, if you're feeling resistant to letting God help you, just act as if, you know, just saying the words, even if you know me, God, God help me do this, I do it all the time, God help me do this, and Sometimes God's will is for me to just show up and do that funky thing I really don't want to do, and then it gets done and great. So I just 
that's that's what I can offer. Thanks. My thing is to ask God who you, who He wants to have you sponsor or be sponsored by. Um, Randy, when the powerful craving came, what did you do? Tools that you used and not succumb to it. Great question. Um, tools. <laughs> that um, you know, this program gives us a um, a wealth of tools, and I use all of them at various times. Sometimes, you know, sometimes multiple tools. The biggest um, tool is that that I use when the craving hits is actually one that's not an official tool, and that's prayer. Um, Asking God over and over, over and over for the craving to be, um, to be removed. And, and knowing this too shall pass. It's, the big book says, the 12 and 12 says, the stories say that the craving is temporary. And I found that to be true. And then as time goes, it's just that as time goes on and I continue to do my daily practice, I go to four meetings a week, I talk to my sponsor usually two or three times a week, I talk with someone from the program at least once a day, and it's like I never forget. Um, It says in the... um, um, Acceptance is the answer story. I've used up my right to chemical peace of mind. And sometimes when the craving hits, I'll just say that over and over. I've used up my, I've used up my right to use food as, as a means of coping with life. Thanks. I hope it's okay if I put in my two cents. <laughs> One of the things that I did when I first got abstinent was at the minute the craving starts, the minute the thought came to me, you don't, I didn't harbor, oh well, and try to fight it on my own. I went into the bathroom, I got down on my knees, and I said, God, grant me the serenity to accept blah, 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 and please, God, take away this craving. And he did. He really does if you just trust him and ask him. Okay, Katie, how did you come to... Oh, yeah. Katie, how did you come to believe in your heart, not just intellectually, that God will help you and restore you to sanity? Again, another really good question. Um, It was a lot of repetition, a lot of acting as if. Um, and I think just the experience of keeping coming back and knowing that God has restored me this, or keeps restoring me this handy. I'm not going to say I'm completely sane at this point. Um, but it's my experience of, of being in the rooms and seeing the recovery and getting the recovery. That's like, yeah, God's restoring me this handy. And I, because I just, I look at my life now as opposed to like 10 years ago and it's so much fuller and richer and more beautiful. So I, I just, I know that my higher power has been working and, um, so that's it. Thanks. Um, that's all we. That's all the questions we have. Were there any other? Oh, there's some. There's some more. Okay. 
I am having trouble finding my higher power. What words would you give to an agnostic? Um, that's a good question. I think um, a lot of it is what everyone has said is act as if. Because um, for me, when I get into an agnostic phase, and I do get those phases occasionally, it's um, look what God has done. I, I think about what my higher power has done for me where my higher power has led me and where belief in a higher power has led friends of mine. And, you know, sometimes it's okay to be agnostic. Sometimes I get really, especially when things are not going well uh, in my life, I've gone through some really serious trauma in the last couple of years where I was kicking and and saying there is no God. Um, but that didn't last very long. Um, one of the things that helps me is to just be open to the things around me. If I'm in a doubting mood, to just be open to think that, all right, maybe, you know, just maybe look, look at the flower, look at the sky. Look at the fact that I was in Southern California. Look at the fact that I've got um, 60 meetings, OA meetings a week in Los Angeles. And I know people who, there are no meetings where they are. Um, when I'm agnostic, when I get into an agnostic mood, it's also usually that I'm not real grateful. And, um, just to get into a, and by talking with my sponsor, by talking with my friends, just time, just, it just kind of clicks in. Oh, if I'm doubting God, I'm usually, it's because I'm not being grateful. It's because this, it's because of that. And I guess through experience, I've kind of learned how to deal with it in each situation. So um, time in this program is really uh, has a lot of value. Thanks. I'm also going to add a really cool tool that I've heard is, um, and this I think this also works for people who believe in a God, but maybe their current higher power isn't working. Um, write a write a want ad for your higher power. Like if you had complete control, what would you want your higher power to be? And and it's kind of cool. And there's also the concept of using the group as a higher power. You know, it doesn't have to be this being out in space, you know, and stuff. But the but the group as a whole, you know, the power of the program is is definitely a power greater than me. So it might work for someone else. So. Thank you. And I also, like you, um, from a person who has 36 years of recovery, told me to write a job description and that God is greater than anything we could ever imagine or hope for. And that was really helpful for me. Um, I said one word, unconditionally loving, or two words. And so when I got that, that's when I realized what God is. And I really, really liked your gratitude thing. One of the things that I do and um, just to share, I've been abstinent for 20 years. And um, 
abstinent from sugar too, and which is a miracle. And so daily, I have a daily gratitude list, and I take the alphabet. The air that we breathe that's clean and the water that we drink, we have water to wash our clothes with, clean water. Um, just on a daily basis, thanking God for the things I have, gasoline in my car, you know, um, food to eat on my table, um, a, a refrigerator that's overflowing with food. So um, that's a real important thing for me also to get in touch with God. And the third thing was is ask God to reveal himself to you. You know, and he will. He will let you know. I've had a, many, many people who were agnostics, and I tell them to say that prayer. Ask God to reveal himself to you. And he does. He wants nothing more than to have a relationship with us. And if we ask to be have him revealed, he will do that. Oh, good. We got another question. Um what is your regular morning spiritual routine? Um, my morning, usually my routine is I get up, um, I do a little stretching, which is good for my body. That's part of my amends to myself. Um, and then I read pages 86 to 88 in the big book where it starts, you know, on upon awakening where we, we think about the 24 hours ahead. I think that's a great way, a great outline of how to get in touch with higher power. Um, I read, I read the, those pages. Um, I, I have a daily reader. There's, um, there's some program approved literature. There's one called Daily Reflection. There's one called, um, For Today. And I've got another A one that I like, um, and I rotate each year which one I use. And I read, I read the daily reading out of that. I usually read some other spiritual literature. Um, and I get on my knees and then I say the, um, I take it back. Um, after that, I either do some silent meditation or do some writing. Kind of depends on what, my higher powers leading me to for that day. Um, and when I get done with that writing or, or meditation, um, I get on my knees and I say the uh, the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, the eleventh step prayer, a um, couple words, you know, special words, and then you know I get up and and uh, get about my day and start and start and start moving. So that's that's what I do in the morning. Thanks. Ditto, and I would add to that that I also do writing, uh, journaling every morning. Uh, some people do it in the morning, some people do it at night. I find writing insanely beneficial. Um, usually when I'm not quite sure what's going on in my life, writing, when I write about it, inevitably the answer comes to me, you know, some something I'm holding on to, some kind of character defect. Um, sometimes when I'm putting people, places, and things ahead of my higher power and my program, uh, I'm a firm believer in journaling. And sometimes, it, sometimes it's two minutes and two sentences. Sometimes it's two pages. Another question is, I believe in God, however, I find it very hard to surrender every time to him. I feel like if I surrender, I'm a failure. I feel like this really stops me. How do I overcome this? Oh, I can say something. Look in the mirror. Um, if you're 10, 20 pounds overweight, um, you're powerless over food. Um, and if I can't control this bowl of chemicals, I must be really powerless. 
And um, the other thing is, is I believe in the saying, that which I wish to do, I do not do, and that which I do not wish to do, I do. St. Paul once said that. Um, that is my life every single day. And um, out of weakness comes strength. That's the other thing I learned um, in the years that I've been in this program. Um, strength comes from weakness. And when I surrender, when I surrender the food, when I surrender my job situation, I've had a very similar situation like you. When I surrender my job situation, when I surrender my mobility, I was in bed for 10 months. Um, when I surrender, I find incredible peace and joy and strength. It's beyond my greatest comprehension. And so I would just say, if I can't surrender, then I say the acceptance prayer. Or I call it the acceptance prayer, but the acceptance. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it's because I can't surrender. And I can find no serenity until I surrender. For nothing happens in God's world by mistake. And so I take that and I, I rewrite that for whatever situation I'm in. Um, and I do that to a lot of the prayers in no way. I just say, God, you know, I'm powerless over my willingness to surrender. I pray for the willingness. I had to pray for the willingness to put down the sugar for three years. I didn't think it was going to work. And so, and I couldn't be abstinent as long as I had to have my sugar fix at night. So, um, I would just say to pray for the willingness to surrender. And just know that you have a life beyond your wildest dreams when you do. Yes, yeah, so I'd like to add to that. Um, I, I read this question I, and I, and I, I'm hearing, this is, this is my interpretation, but I feel like there's a little bit of shame in this. I feel like I surrender. I'm a failure, and it's really stopping me. How do I overcome this? Um, yeah, I can get into this perfectionist thing. Oh, I didn't surrender it right. I didn't do this right. And, you know, and just beating myself up. And it's like, well, part of what I'm trying to surrender is, you know, getting it right or whatever. And I think, I think I'm, I, go, I come back to, like, act as if. You know, I'm just going to say the words even if I don't mean it, even if I don't know what it means. Like, what is it? Sometimes like, what does that mean to surrender? I don't know what the hell that means. And I, sometimes I just say, God, I surrender this. You know, and then and then try to let it go, and and just kind of realize, you know what? If I don't start it perfect, if I take my will back, okay, I took my will back. I, I, it's it's the act as if until like like pray until something happens, acting as if you know, going back to you don't have to mean the words when you say the prayers for them to be effective. Um, so that's the best thing I'll just 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 keep saying the words until you, until you mean it. So hopefully that helps. Well, we'll go ahead and read this one. It's sort of, I think we sort of answered it, but as long as we have some time. Randy, please say more about your higher power formation. My higher power is inside me and is not me, etc. Um, my higher power. It's like my higher power wants what's best for me. Um, my higher power guides me. It's more of like a, a guidepost. Um, 
if I am, but only if I'm open to um, to accepting God's help. And you know, this is kind of this is kind of like tough because I don't. The thing is, I don't necessarily need to conceptualize it anymore. I don't necessarily have to define it. It's something. God is as much something that that I feel as a you know as a definition of something, um, and it's just by doing what I do every single day, I can feel my higher power's presence, and um, that's really enough, um, and it's um, it's enough, and it's good uh, and I really can't say sorry about that uh, words are just kind of escaping me on on that Be- because of the fact that um, it's something that's really indefinable to me just that I know that um, my higher power is you know in the light switch and I, too, do a gratitude list, either written or mental. You know, God is in the light switch. Um, My higher power is in the words that all of you you guys say. And even if someone is still compulsively overeating, I can... um, I can look and say that there are words that a person says, no matter who they are, no matter whether I like them or not, um, that kind of signifies to me that my higher power is, my higher power speaks a lot through other people. I just have to listen. Um, you know, I remember when I was in my disease, I had heard it was said about me that I did one of my biggest character defects was that I didn't listen. Either I blindly listened because um, I didn't have opinions of my own or I didn't listen at all. And uh, life, like anything else, is finding the happy medium. I'll just say one thing about that also. Um, I have really um, evolved in my higher power, our God, and um, my God is the creator of the universe, the source of all love, and the spirit within me. And um, that's an affirmation I use every day, and God makes that real. And like we say, act as if. I really love that, you know, act as if. And so I just say on a daily basis, God is the creator of the universe. God is the source of all love. And he's the spirit within me. And with that, I have nothing to fear. And so that's how I um, really, really uh, face or approach God in my life. Okay, so... It's um, 
Do we don't read anything else? Okay. It's now, I'm filling in, by the way. Um, it's now time to close this workshop. Uh, please join us in a moment of silence, followed by the prayer of your choice. Or is it my choice? Whose choice is it? Okay. Well, let's do the third step prayer. Hey! <laughs> do you want to get in a circle? Okay. Let's go ahead in a circle.